The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. There, ass is covered. <laughs> You're a little hollow, by the way. Yeah, I know, and I'm going to explain why. Um, last week, we had a technical meltdown. I have something called an M-Box, which goes along with my Pro Tools, which is what I use to record my side of the conversation here in my my studio. Uh, if you remember last week's podcast, you'll notice that there you'll, you'll remember that there was a, a, a hum and a high pitched squeal on everything. Apparently, something has gone wrong with my with my inbox. Um, so I spent the entire week trying to get it worked out, and yesterday I spent uh, oh a good six or eight hours here in the studio trying to rebuild everything. Apparently, this is something called a ground loop, and for some reason I can't get that loop out of the out of the uh, the signal chain. So I had a guy come over last night, Brian, who is my guardian angel and, and savior, uh, came in here, and he, I've got this giant thing called, uh, this giant interface thing. It's from a company called Universal Audio. It's huge. costs about $3,000. And it is just a, um, uh, it's a stopgap measure. So uh, I, I'm not sure why, sure why everything is hollow. But uh, anyway, we'll have to we'll have to deal with it. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The poet of punk takes his final walk on the wild side. Lou Reed's career hit the musical sweet spot, if the latest data on digital sales is any indication. The connected car. I'll run down the top ten things I learned at a Motor City conference. Big schmaltz from the Big Bang Theory. And we'll play you a version of Rick Astley's namesake song that's light years better than the original. Plus, the winner of our best concert story ever contest. And a Halloween bedtime story that's not for the kids. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of this. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So Lou Reed, not only did he die this past week, uh, but apparently his last words were put on Facebook and Twitter. I didn't see that. What did he say? Uh, at Lou Reed, his verified Twitter account at 6.53 a.m. October 27th. It simply read, The Door. And if you click on the link, it takes you to a photo of him, uh, or a photo of a poster of him, and spray-painted underneath him on the door reads, Papa Loves Baby. Isn't that interesting? I didn't see this. Okay, I have to immediately repost this. Okay, good. Um, I will do that on, on my website. That's good. I just sent you the link. Yeah, I see it. Wow. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way. Shaved her legs and then he was a she. She says, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. Said, hey, honey, take a walk on the wild side. 
So Lou Reed had a liver transplant back in May. He did this in secret in Cleveland. And he was 71 years old at the time. And when you're 71 years old and you've lived a life like Lou, uh, there are bound to be some kind of complications. However, he was saying that he was a miracle of modern medicine. He was back doing Tai Chi. He was doing some writing and everything was going to be fine. But then uh, he just kind of slipped out of sight. He apparently went back to Cleveland. They discovered that there was continuing issues with liver disease. When the doctors couldn't do anything more for him, they sent him home to to die in in Southampton, uh, New York. Not a huge surprise because the man did abuse his body severely. But what I want to know is, I mean, he's got the reputation of being the grumpiest man in rock. I want to know what that uh, Pearly Gates conversation was like. Yeah, him and St. Peter going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, As I understand it, um, his uh, first album only sold about 30,000 copies in its early years. But Brian Eno was quoted in 1982 as saying, everyone who bought one of those 30,000 copies started a band. He was talking about uh, Lou's Velvet Underground years. And yeah, the Velvet Underground didn't sell very many records at all when they were around from 1966 through to about 1970 in that original classic lineup. Uh, the pro- the issue was that that everybody who bought one of these records ended up doing something tremendously influential in, in terms of music going forward, and that included uh, Iggy Pop, who was transformed by going to see a Velvet Underground show in Detroit in 1967. That put him on the road to getting serious about music. David Bowie was a gigantic Lou Reed fan. A huge part of of his Ziggy Stardust character was based on Lou Reed. He ended up producing some albums for Lou Reed. They became lifelong friends. Uh, Patti Smith, the New York Dolls, the Ramones, uh, the Sex Pistols, Joy Division, the Pixies. I mean, the list of people influenced by the Velvet Underground specifically and Lou Reed indirectly, I suppose, was was absolutely huge. And, And this is a guy that had one top 40 hit, that really weird out of left field Walk on the Wild Side from 1972. And apparently it was produced by David Bowie. It was. Uh, that was the Transformer record. Uh, they met in New York in the early 70s. They got on very, very well. And uh, like I said, they became lifelong friends. What was fascinating to me about Walk on the Wild Side from 72 was that uh, the topics included uh, transsexuality, drug use, male prostitution. But when RCA released the single for radio, the only reference they removed from it was the reference to oral sex. Um, I suspect in part because a lot of the other elements like transsexuality and drug use and stuff like that were were vaguely veiled. You know, your seven-year-old in the back seat of the car wouldn't understand what they were listening to. Well, that reference to oral sex wasn't necessarily removed in all versions. I remember hearing it on AM radio back in, in, in the early 70s and it's like, giving what? I didn't understand that back then. His last words were posted on social media, and there were only two words. Yeah, and what did he say? I mean, it was like when Timothy Leary died, his last words were, of course. And then when Steve Jobs died, his last words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. So what does the door mean? God, that's going to keep us guessing. I think we get some pretty good ideas, but I think everybody's going to have their own idea. You know what? That's going to probably go down in history as one of the shortest 
deathbed poems ever. And I suppose it's a good thing that he made his money when he did. I think it was, uh, I think it was Mick Jagger when asked about the evolution of music and into the digital world and all of that. He, he blew off the reporter saying that it was a boring topic, and then went on to point out that in the history of being a musician. There has always been a very short window where people actually made big bucks out of being musicians, and that was basically from the 60s until about the 80s, 90s. Late 90s. Um, whereas, by and large, throughout the entire history of music, no one's really ever made money off that, and you've got statistical proof that the digital music business ain't that great for most musicians as well. No, there's a great book. No, there uh, is I've a great it, book. And I, uh, I haven't had a chance to start I... reading it yet, but it's called Blockbusters. Um, hit-making, risk-taking, ah, and the big okay, business of entertainment by somebody okay, named so, Anita um, L. Burrs. I've never heard of her before, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to this book. And basically what she does is deconstruct all the music sales in the digital era. And here are a couple of statistics. 98.9% of all digital music tracks in existence in 2011 sold fewer than a thousand copies. That sounds like an awful lot of music. Now you point out that that's seven point nine million out of eight million songs, but there had to have been more than eight million songs sold in twenty eleven. That's a very good question. Uh, of all digital music tracks in existence, are there only eight million digital music tracks in existence as of twenty eleven? Well, that's you know now that you're poking holes in this, that's interesting because. Streaming music services like Spotify say that they have between 25 and 27 million songs. Same thing with iTunes. So, oh, but wait a second. Those are only the songs that sold. There have been other statistics. So, uh, Spotify, for example, put out something a little while ago that said that out of the 25 million or 20 million or whatever million songs they have, 20% of them have never been heard. They've never been played, not once. 73.9% of all digital music tracks sold fewer than 10 copies. Well, see, there you go. So I think if you were to do the math a little bit more, you would find out that while all this music exists online, uh, a good chunk of them are never being heard by anyone. Ever. You know, one track that should probably never have been heard by anyone ever, Rick Rolling Your Friends in Klingon? <laughs> <laughs> this rather interesting in fact if you get a uh, if you can pick up the copy uh, your copy of a metro newspapers on on friday november the first i uh, actually write about this um some guys who have taken the time to um not only translate never going to give you up into klingon have also decided that uh, there's a fly in my studio why, why is there a fly when it's freezing outside well, it's probably the bug in your system yeah maybe that was it anyway they've uh They've, they've shot a video for it. It looks like it's shot for shot. Well, it does look like it's shot for shot. 
Uh, we'll post that in the show notes, of course, but uh, you should play a little bit of it here. Well, you know what? We can probably get away with about 15 or, or, or 20 seconds before YouTube shuts us down, but give it a little bit of a... We, we could probably get away with playing the whole three minutes and 23 seconds of it without being shut down. No, we don't want to do that. But I, I don't think we would have anybody actually listening to the show more than three minutes into it. No, 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 no. The other thing, too, is, is you said that they uh, translated. I think they loosely translated because this is very a uh, Klingon-esque version. Apparent love is not alien to us. Okay, now, wait, 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 wait. You know the laws, and I do, too. Wait a second. I think you've, you've, you've just revealed your geekiness by critiquing by knowing this was a an imperfect translation of never going to give you up into Klingon. let's just think about what you just said give give, give me a give me a break well, I, it reads i am certainly considering promising a blood oath with you i don't think rick astley sang that i i'm not saying it's a word for word translation <laughs> but it, it has to be you 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 have to make allowances for cultural differences. I mean, that's what a good translator does. Uh -huh. There are certain colloquialisms that have to be taken into account. Uh, okay, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But my, my favorite part of the whole thing, in addition to it being virtually shot for shot, is when they cut to the shot of the bartender who's washing the glass. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's wearing a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> Come on, it's funny. It's... <laughs> I'm a Star Wars guy. You're a Star Trek guy. You must be enjoying this a lot more than I am. Since we're on the subject, you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, you know you know where I was on Friday? Where were you on Friday? I was in San Juan Capistrano, California. I was attending a William Shatner concert at the place called The Coach House. He has this new prog rock album called Ponder the Mystery. He's got a, a band that features two members of a later version of Yes!, and uh, he played the album in its entirety in front of about 500 people. The confusion of faith and the logic of clarity. The tranquility of summer and winter's ferocity. So I went down to see it and uh, talked to him afterwards. And then later today, we're going to have a little phone conversation. And uh, I'll, I'll probably have some of that uh, for you next week on the show. Oh, you'll uh, save some of the interview for us so we can actually hear it on the big show? I will gladly give up part of my interview with uh, Captain Kirk for uh, the big show next week. Fantastic. And next week, by the way, we'll get more into this in, uh, in greater detail on the Geeks and Beats update. But uh, that's the big uh, live-to-air show on Google Hangouts. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll edit this, uh, this up. I'll put it on SoundCloud, and we'll just uh, have some fun with it. I got a feeling, though, that uh, anything that is sung by William Shatner couldn't possibly hold a candle to what I watched last weekend on The Big Bang Theory. The uh, Bernadette song? The Bernadette song. If I didn't have you, life would be blue. I'd be Doctor Who without the TARDIS. Is it me or does she not look so good? <laughs> a candle without a wick, a Watson without a crick. I'd be one of my outfits without a dick. I'd be cheese without the Mac, jobs without the Wozniak. I'd be solving exponential equations that use basis not found on your calculator, making it much harder to crack. I'd be an atom without a bomb, a dot without the com, and I'd probably still live with my mom. And he'd probably still live with his mom. That was cute. That was really sweet in, in, in a dorky kind of way. There was a Monty Python-esque sort of tone to it there with the uh, group behind him singing the chorus at the end. Yeah. But it was uh, it was very well done. I thought so. And, you know, the uh, allusions to speaking Klingon and living in your mother's basement, you know, that was good. You don't get a lot of that kind of stuff. No. All right. Time for a Geeks and Beats update. 
London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Ten things I learned about the connected car this week. You posted this on thegeeksandbeats.com, and uh, I read it top to bottom, and I have to tell you, I agree with every single thing you wrote. Yeah, I wrote that on the plane on the way down to California. Um, I spent uh, about two days in Detroit uh, with this conference, which basically talks about, it was the first time a lot of people had come together in what was, well, what still is a major, a major automotive manufacturing city to talk about how radio and the connected car are going to move forward together. Now, when you think about radio and the car, uh, they kind of grew up together. They both achieved critical mass in, in, in the 1930s, really. And that's when radio first started being installed into, into cars. And uh, since then, cars in many ways have been radios on wheels. It's one of the things that as you're driving, keeps you connected to what's happening in the outside world. And uh, radio has been marginalized slightly over the years, first with the 8-track, then with the cassette, and then with CD, and then with satellite radio and whatever else. But radio itself is, is, is under a big technological attack because of all the things that are being installed into dashboards these days. So a whole bunch of radio people got together with a whole bunch of radio uh, automobile manufacturers and third-party manufacturers and what they're calling first-tier and second-tier manufacturers of uh, head units and other electronics that are going into cars to talk about what's what's happening and where things are going uh, in the future. And it was it was absolutely fascinating. Right out of the gate, a lot of radio people still don't get it. And the quote from this woman that you uh, had written up, today's kids will eventually come to radio when they realize that all they're being bombarded with information when they realize that all they're being bombarded with information from so many other sources, they'll turn to radio because it's so easy to use. That woman has got to be dumber than a box of hammer handles. Clearly, she's a major radio executive. She looked like one. She had uh, Walmart hair, and she would have nothing to do with, with, with my conversation. None whatsoever. Wow. That is incredibly small-minded to think that the kids today will come to radio just because, oh, everything else is so, so difficult, and there's just so many choices. You know what that is? That's a 55-year-old executive talking. And thinking that that's not what kids today think. Here's my theory about radio executives, and I and I don't think it's too far off the mark. A lot of people who are in charge of radio these days are people in their 50s and 60s, and all they want to do is hang on to the status quo until they can retire and cash out with their options. Yeah, it's, it's so that it's not their problem. So it's not their problem, and they're just going to dump it on the generation that's coming up, and, and they're going to have to figure out what to do next. Yeah, I completely agree. You have uh, 10 points, as, as we discussed. That was point number one. Uh, there's a new modern definition of radio, which, as we discussed, includes such things as Spotify. We're not going to see any common standards for dashboard interfaces anytime soon. We've discussed that as well. Also, the issue of safety. I think we still need these big knobs because you don't want to be trying to figure out a touchscreen. But the one that got me was advertising is going to change drastically. Yeah, it looks like it. And they had a number of people from various agencies talking about this sort of stuff and how we can use the connected car to advertise to drivers. And the example that was given was that let's say your car has connected has has the latest in diagnostics and it senses that hey it's time for an oil change so it'll send out a, a note to 
the surrounding area. And let's say, for example, a Jiffy Lube responds and says, oh, hey, I see that you need an oil change and you should have one now. Tell you what, here's a message on your dashboard that says, pull in now and we'll give you a deal on it. It, it meets all your warranty requirements, and, uh, you know, we're, we're doing you a service. That's absolutely brilliant. And, and there's issues associated with that, no doubt, when it comes to privacy and all that sort of thing. I think as well we, we overreach when it comes to that example. Because if I'm driving down the road and my car pops up a reminder that I need an oil change, and, oh, by the way, if you just make it the next left into the Jiffy Lube, you'll get a deal – I'm probably on my way from point A to point B, and I don't have time to stop for a Jiffy Lube in the first place. This is something that uh, advertising agencies and people much smarter than us will be able to work out in the, in the future. But you, you know it's coming. You, you really do know it's coming. And not only do you know it's coming, but point number nine was that change is coming fast. Yes, it is. And here's a couple of statistics. Number one, the average age of a car on U.S. roads right now is 11 years. So there is a huge pent-up demand for new vehicles. Number two, things are starting to turn around in the economy. Apparently, the U.S. auto manufacturing sector will ship 16 million cars next year. Number three, most of those cars, if not all of them, will have some kind of connectivity built into them because dealers and manufacturers realize that more people are going into dealerships and saying things like, what's in the dashboard, rather than how much horsepower is there. So over the next little while, 16 million cars are going to come into the marketplace And all of them are going to be connected, and people are going to want to connect with their cars. A couple of things that were pointed out was that, listen, if you spend money on a brand new car with all these features, you're going to want to spend time to learn how to use all those features because, well, damn it, you paid for it. Secondly, if you have kids, the kids are going to learn how to use it in a flash anyway. So you're going to be listing or you're going to be using your connected cars features Uh, whether you like them or not. So we're going to see a a tremendous amount of change here, and it's going to be, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Time now for the Best Concert Story Ever contest winner. What have we got? Let me just uh, open it up here and have a look, and we'll see. I'm not really... Oh, you know exactly who's won the big uh, contest. I think so. I'm just checking. Yeah, we talked about this the past couple of weeks. Uh, We had uh, Paul from PEI marshal his Twitterati forces to uh, help vote for him in uh, the Best Concert Ever contest to win a Supertooth Disco soundbar. And... uh, He's managed to pull it off. I'm a host of a morning show here on Charlottetown, uh, Q93. It's a rock station, and with different concerts coming in town, of course, you get the chance to MC or to host a concert. We had one here uh, five or six years ago, and it was a it was a huge summer concert. The headliner was Aerosmith. Yeah, imagine that Aerosmith on Prince Edward Island. Year before we had Black Eyed Peas, but anyways, back to Aerosmith. Uh, there's a lot of different acts coming up throughout the day. 5440 was on, and the guys were all here, but none of their gear made it here. It was stuck out in an airport in Calgary, so Cheap Trick was also playing here. So they said to 5440, here, guys, you uh, can use our gear. We're going to be on next, so go crazy. So they did. Had a great time. Cheap Trick gets out there, and they put on quite a show. And I'm watching the show from backstage, and I can see a couple of guys across from backstage just sitting there laughing their, their heads off. They're having a great time. I'm thinking, no way. It, it turns out it's Joe Perry and Bradley Whitford from Aerosmith. So someone gives them the signal they got to come because they got to go over to the main building to get uh, Steve and Tyler to come over to the concert because he didn't travel with the rest of them. So they come walking by, 
And I thought, this is a golden opportunity. So they're about a foot away from me. And I said, hey, guys, how you doing? Can I get your picture? And Joe says, yeah, sure, no problem, man. So he puts his armor on Bradley, and they smile for me, and I pulled out the digital camera. A foot away, I swear, just a foot away, snapped the picture. And he says, hey, there you go, man. He says, enjoy the concert. Yeah, thanks a lot. Great. And all the niceties are done. They're gone. And I'm thinking, there's over 50,000 people at this concert, and I've got the best picture out of any of them. So I pick up the camera to look at it, and I suddenly realize it's one of these cameras, these digital cameras, where you snap the picture and there's a bit of a delay. So when I took the picture, I had lowered the camera afterwards, and I didn't get the best picture of the concert. I didn't get a picture of Joe and Brad. What I ended up with was a close-up of Joe Perry's crotch. Not the best picture from the concert, probably the most unique, but not the best. Anyways, that's my story, guys. It might be hard to top that Paul McCartney story, but that's my most memorable concert memory. Enjoy the podcast. Thumbs up. He has 77% of the votes over Paul McCartney's bass and the Rolling Stones' dad. So uh, way to go, Paul from PEI. Although, you know, I guess you can't blame the guy for marshalling his his, uh, social media army, can you? Well, I have to say, we did give everybody the opportunity to vote once a day, and uh, it was uh, for no small reason, of course, because we wanted people to go to the website. We wanted people to actively participate, uh, and uh, so we were just basically whoring ourselves out to ensure that uh, we got more traffic on the website. Yeah, well, nice job, and uh, enjoy your, your sandbar. At the same time, we had uh, discussed in the previous episode uh, that uh, the Rolling Stones' dad really needed to up his game and get a little more involved. Stephen Kendall had actually written into us in response to us trying to, to get him to step up his game. He writes, You rightly noted that I am trailing far behind in the vote department. However, I need to let you know that I am quite at ease with my game. One vote among the tiny handful I have received is from my wife, Allison the very woman who gave me the stern looks and harsh words when I went to that first Rolling Stones concert instead of James's, James being his seven-year-old son at the time. That one single vote means more to me than the hundreds and possibly thousands of votes for this Joe Perry crotch photo story. It means to me all is finally forgiven. Because ten years later, he did take his son to his own Rolling Stones concert, and they had a great time. Yeah. But we were all convinced it was Paul McCartney's bass that was going to win, and he got 12% of the vote, uh, whereas the Rolling Stones' dad got 11%. Well, I think that's just wrong, but uh, hey, I'm not voting. <laughs> no, no, you voted. Did you not? I voted. You know what? Oh, I did. Well, no, no, okay, I voted. I, I, I voted for the dad. And I voted for the base, but I voted once because it wouldn't be fair. As did I. So congratulations, Paul. We will be in touch, and the Supertooth Disco Soundbar will be yours. Uh, Thanks again to uh, the folks at Supertooth as well as Max Borges' agency. We also have a a co-producer credit, and it comes from no other than the Rolling Stones' dad. Oh, well, that's very nice. So we don't give him anything, but he gives us money? Yes, he says, So I know you can see that I can take my defeat with head held high and heart at ease. In addition uh, of showing my good faith, I'm emailing uh, to you a photo of the two Rolling Stones ticket stubs that I have kept to remind at least me of my best concert story ever. Please also accept my request to co-produce the show and separately made a $25 donation. Well, that's very nice. Yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, So now, uh, Stephen Kendall, as well, can put this on his resume. If you would like to be a Big Shot co-producer, go to geeksandbeats.com, hit the co-producers link, and all you need to do is open up your wallet. It's just like a real Hollywood deal. What's this uh, mug from Melbourne, Australia? 
We got a mug from Melbourne, Australia emailed to us uh, from uh, one of our listeners halfway around the world. Really? Yes. You know what? I may have to go to Melbourne in March. But just to say thank you? Well, no, because my wife is publishing a novel. The publishing house is in Melbourne, and the publishing date is March the 13th. You know what we ought to do? Because I don't want to follow her around doing all her book stuff. Maybe what we could do is, once I, once I find out if I'm going, could uh, plan a meetup. Ooh, yes, a little uh, Geeks and Beats meetup. Uh, Jason Sanguin is uh, the man in this photo, uh, saying the large handle is perfect for man's hands when you need to grab life by the mug or bludgeon a would-be assailant. Uh, yes, that's true. Yes. If you, too, would like to be like Jason and uh, get yourself a craptastic mug, uh, the GMB Special Edition members' only exclusive mug of drinking is available now for 50 big bucks. Uh, we are completely ripping you off by encouraging you to buy this. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. But as as you can tell, we don't make any money from this. Uh, we're not nearly good enough to make any money from this. And uh, I, I'm, I, I continue to sink in big dollars into this studio that doesn't seem to want to work. So uh, we've decided, what, uh, the first Sunday night of every month, we're going to do uh, the big show live to air on Google Hangouts? Yeah, we're going to try. Uh, again, this week will be my technological challenge, although I think I may have this stuff fixed. I have to go to later today and get the new gear, so let's hope. All right, so uh, if you would like to see how the sausages are made, uh, speaking of unprofessional, uh, you would want to join us uh, by going to geeksandbeats.com, uh, or you could add slash live, and you get all the details there. And at 7 p.m. Eastern time, we will be doing season two, episode 30, I think it is, because this is 29. Uh, sure. Uh, we've completely... We, we had the forensic accountant in, as you had pointed out in the liner notes last week. Uh, it is, in fact, episode 29 here. So s episode 30 will be on the big show live to air on Google Hangouts. Okay, good to know. Sounds like you could use some yoga. Yes. You know, I do see a trainer three days a week, which helps with the stress, but I think I might need this yoga. And I don't like going to regular yoga because it's all yummy mummies and Lululemon pants. I mean, that sounds gay. I just want you to know that this is like the first conversation of like three conversations that leads to you being gay like there's this and then in a year it's like oh you know i'm kind of gonna want to get back out there but i think i like guys and then there's the big oh i'm I'm a, I'm a gay guy now you're gay for saying that i'm gay for saying that you know how i know you're gay how how do you know i'm gay because you macrameed yourself a pair of jean shorts you know i know you're gay you just told me you're not sleeping with women anymore you know how i know that you're gay how because you're gay and you can tell who other gay people are you know how I know you're gay? Yeah. You like Coldplay. That's exactly why I go to you. Yeah, I know. But you're not supposed to look. What was that line about uh, women's breasts in the sun? What were you doing? It's not my fault. You poked me. You're supposed to just take a peek after a poke. You were like you just put a quarter in one of those big metal things on top of the Empire State Building. It was cleavage. I couldn't look away. What am I, waiting to win an Oscar here? This is all I have in my life. Looking at cleavage is like looking at the sun. You don't stare at it. It's too risky. You get a sense of it, then you look away. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't like the new agey stuff that goes along with a lot of yoga. It just doesn't appeal to my... Yeah, neither, neither do I. Yeah. So I discovered this thing that's happening in New York. It's called metal yoga. And it's the same sort of movements and exercises, except that you do it not to some goofy new age stuff, 
but to uh, drony noise rock from bands like Sun O and Earth. This doesn't sound at all relaxing. I would bust out laughing. Well, listen, it all depends on your your musical headspace. I would find this very interesting. <laughs> well, you have to understand that this music, there's not a lot of beats in this music. It's, 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 it's slow and ponderous and noisy, which is what a lot of new age music is. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's the kind of stuff that you can really, you know, lose your mind to, which is what the whole point is, right? It sounds like the perfect background music uh, for a bedtime story from Gwar. Gwar! Yes. Odorous Arungus. Is who? He is the uh, the leader of Guar. Okay. I, I can't believe that. You don't know about Guar? What is Guar? Guar is a metal band of aliens that are dedicated to wiping out planet Earth. They've been around for a very long time. They've got uh, a dozen or so albums. And uh, Odorous Arungus, who's the, the, the leader of Guar, always has been. Um, and he's actually a contributor to uh, Fox News every once in a while. Wearing this getup? It's not a getup. That's that's Order Sarungus. That's what he really looks like? Well, of course it is. I've met the man. Okay, dude. He, he's very funny, very prescient. And he uh, has, has written a bedtime story. He hasn't written one. He's read one. He's reading Goodnight Moon. He has annotated uh, a bedtime story. This is not for children. <laughs> okay, but that's much more appropriate. But it is certainly something that uh, you'll get a laugh from. <laughs> I, I thought it was hysterical. And you wanted to go out on this because of how? Halloween? Sure, why not? But you don't like Halloween. I don't like Halloween, but I like war. Okay. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. Yes, it's the time when parents dress up their kids in disguises and allow them to extort things from their neighbors. I will be turning off the lights and lying on the floor, uh, waiting for the storm to pass. Hello, kiddies. The people at Loudwire have asked me to do you a service for all your miserable parents who can't get you to stop screaming about how you should be able to stay up late at night and watch shows like Breaking Bad. Well, you can't. Go to bed, you scum. They're going to read to you, so you go to bed. As I read to you, you will find yourself becoming more and more tired. My only hope is that I do not... Make myself fall asleep as I read this story. I don't know much about it, but I've been ensured it's a real yawn fest. So, without any more further ado-do, let's get on with Goodnight Moon. In the great green room, there was a telephone. And a red balloon. And a picture of... This. That's not a lot of stuff for one page, I tell you. There was a cow jumping over the moon. There were three little pets sitting in chairs. See? That's a cow. You f***. That's a f***ing cow jumping over the f***ing moon. That doesn't f***ing happen, okay? And neither did Apollo 13, you f***ing piece of fecal dandruff. All right? And bears are not friendly, okay? Don't around with bears. They'll bite your little dicks off. Alright, next page. Alright, okay. Bears do not sit in chairs as well. What is this, a fairy tale? There were two little kittens and a pair of mittens and a little toy house and a young mouse. Now here you can see the condom drying rack as these animals dry out and reuse their condoms being environmentally conscientious. 
Okay, next page. This is riveting shit. I swear to God, it's like I'm reading a Clive Cussler novel. A brush and a comb and a bowl full of mush and a quiet old lady who was whispering hush. Everybody wondered when we would get a new album from Bush. Uh, except me, they suck. Okay, next page. Get over here. Page! Alright, here we go, next page. Good night, room. Well, that's it for that? Good night, room? Good night, room. Good night, room. What kind of kid lives in a room like this? Nobody I know. Maybe some rich f***ing brat here in Manhattan whose dad runs this f***ing place. I don't know. I didn't live in a room like this. I was born into a gladiatorial arena. I was given a sword as a bunch of slow tards tried to rape me. Either be raped or kill. That's not my room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. We went over that part already. That is bullshit. Good night, light and red balloon. Good night, bear. Good night, chairs. You can see how this is working up to a blistering conclusion. At this point, the little kid pulled out his and he started beating on it like a candlestick. Oh boy, mom, look at some. Bubbling out of my hot, greasy I'm having organism. I don't even know why. Brother told me I started to cry. Good night, kittens. Good night, mom. I'd say good night to dad, but he got killed in that car wreck. Good night, mittens. Good night, shit face. Good night, suck ass, lick shit. Okay, good night, comb. Good night, brush. Never gonna get another album from Bush. Good night, nobody. Good night, mush. Good night to the old lady who just had a f***ing heart attack. She was your grandmother. Okay. Good night, noises everywhere. I'm down to the last three pages, and I don't f***ing care. That's all there is. I hope you die in your f***ing sleep. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.